Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Good. Good. It's great great to be here. Great just for another opportunity to share uh, with you guys this morning what God has laid on my heart from his word this morning. Um, we are right smack dab in the middle of a three-part mini-series on stewardship titled A Life of Stewardship, Giving God Every Part of You. And we've been explaining it like this. Uh, in scripture, God calls us to be stewards, utilizing and managing all of our gifts and resources for his glory and the betterment of his creation. This January, instead of just setting a goal for how we could do better or be better in 2023, let's explore together this three-part series, how we might manage and offer to God all that we have, our time, our talents, our money, relationships, our health, so that we might reflect him to those around us. So in case you missed it, um, Valerie Naganzo was here with us. Uh, she grew up in this church. She has been part of this church for um, a long time and is one of the missionaries uh, that we support. And she just did an awesome job last week um, introducing our sermon series on stewardship. Uh, she talked about treasures. Now, a lot of what Val shared was super, super good. But for me, there were three things that really stuck out to me. I don't know if they were necessarily part of her, you know, three points that she was sharing or if it was just more off the cuff, but I wanted to bring some of those things back to mind. Valerie said, if we are stewards, we are not owners. And that idea alone just drastically changes the way that we think about our money and our treasures. She said this, she said, let me be a funnel to let God's resources flow. And when she shared that, I immediately uh, was reminded of a passage in a book that I read uh, by, by Jason Mitchell. He's the lead pastor at LCBC, a church just down the road, uh, called No Easy Jesus, which explains when we follow Jesus, uh, it's, life does not get necessarily easier. And, and Jason talks about this. He says the way that we live our lives can either be like a warehouse where we keep, keep, keep everything that we have stored up, stored up, or the opposite, we can be a, a distribution center. And as things come in, we send out as well. And so when, when Valerie shared about letting me be a funnel, I immediately thought funnel and the distribution center was just a great, great comparison. Um, and then she said, lastly, she said, how you handle your treasures shows where your heart is. And for me, I was like, well, we can figure that out pretty quickly if we just take a moment and look at our banking statements over the months. And you take a look at your banking statement and you can see what you've been spending your money on. There's a lot of good things that you can be spending on money, uh, whether it's for your house or your family or daycare for your kids. Those are all very, very important things. But then as you look through more closely, um, maybe, maybe you find some other things that are in there um, that maybe aren't as important and you can begin to figure out where your heart is through all of that. So today, we're making that shift. So Valerie took care of the treasures for us, and today we shift into talents. What does the Bible say about using our talents? So I encourage you today, we're going to be looking at Matthew 25, 
14 to 30. If you'd like to open your Bibles, if you're using a church Bible, it's on page 983. Or if you're using your Bible app, you can find it that way as well. But let's read together Matthew 25, 14 through 30. And this is the parable of the talents. It says this. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five more talents. So he also had the two talents, he who also had two talents uh, made two talents more. But he who received the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you have delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew, you were, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter, uh, where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worst, a worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. So before we really dive in and um, we figure out what this parable is all about, um, I want to offer some, some background uh, and history of this parable and just parables in general. So yes, this is a parable. And a parable 
is a simple story used to illustrate a moral lesson um, or a spiritual truth. Uh, Jesus, is, he used miracles in his ministry. If he was trying to teach something that might have been a little more on the complicated side, and what he would do is he would bring it back to real-life experiences that his disciples or his followers would know to better explain kingdom principles. Uh, different examples of these would be uh, the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, it would be uh, the treasured pearl, the parable of the sower, the new cloth and old garment the wedding feast, the speck in the log, or the mustard seed. Those are all examples of different parables. So with all that said, I think what I'm getting at is this question. Is Jesus' simple story about sheep really about sheep? Is Jesus' illustration of the new cloth and the old garment really about the clothes that we wear? Is Jesus' parable about the sower truly about better ways of farming and planting plants? The answer is, is no. A parable always has a deeper, more significant, and profound meaning than what is discussed in the story at the surface level. There's always something else there that Jesus is trying to teach and communicate. All of Jesus' parables, every single one that he teaches has to do with how God's kingdom is in the here and now, but also how it will be in the end times. Although this parable is talking about money, the talent here is money, that is not at the heart of what Jesus is communicating to us. There is more that might be buried and needs to be dug up. And the second part, is context, context, context. So in the real estate world, maybe you've heard it said, location, location, location. And so for Bible passages today, I say context, context, context. Author Dan Kimball, in his book, How Not to Read the Bible, says, never read one Bible, pass or never read one Bible verse all by itself. This is because it has no context, and this can be very easily misunderstood because you don't have the meaning. This is very dangerous. We need context to know what is being communicated to us in the scriptures. It has been noted that or it has been noted by many commentators that this passage is one of the most that is used and abused in scripture, meaning we're just focusing mainly on the money aspect of it. And there may be a preacher or a televangelist that uses the parable of the talents to convince his viewers and followers to give to the ministries and foundations that they own or are a part of, saying, look, these servants gave money to God, and he doubled their money. So if you don't give right now to our ministry, you're going to be like that servant who had one, that God cast away, that God, so, so make sure you give, make sure you give right now. That's not it. They, they've, they've missed it, right? So let's go back. Let's look at the context here. In chapter 24, the previous chapter, Jesus is foretelling the destruction of the temple. And his disciples ask this question. Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus responds by 
giving them some parables by teaching them about these things. The first one is the parable of the ten virgins, and then that is followed immediately by the parable uh, that we're looking at today, the parable of the talents. On an academic level, this whole section of scripture is known as the eschatological discourse. And he say that like three times fast. Eschatological discourse, which basically means Jesus' teaching of the end times. The whole idea here is just not about stewarding money, rather enduring through the hard times and learning how we need to live in anticipation for Jesus' return one day. With a better understanding of parables and the context of the scripture, what is Jesus trying to teach us about stewardship and our talents about his second coming? So again, to better understand this parable, let us today uh, make a little cheat sheet, if you will. We need to define some terms to figure out what Jesus is saying. So right off the bat, verse 14 in the passage opens up with, it will be like. Well, what, what is the it there? It will be like, Jesus, what, what are you talking about? It is referring to the kingdom. Again, all Jesus' parables are referring to kingdom. We are introduced to this master who has gone away on a long journey, and we are introduced to his servants. The master is referring to Jesus himself, who was there with his followers and those he was teaching, and who was going to go away and then come back. The servants are all people. All people are given talents. All people are given gifts. But what do we do with them? The master in the passage gave each servant a, uh, talents, whether it was five, two, or one. And so what, what were these talents? In modern English, we often think of the word talent referring to skills or abilities, but talents in this story, again, are indeed referring to uh, money. And one commentator argued uh, that a talent in this, based off the history, based off context, and based off the original language, comes from a word that represents 6,000 denarii. Now remember, I know I've talked about this before, one denarii was equal to a day's wages. So you can imagine 6,000 days of pay, that is a huge sum, which just represented one of the talents. So if you think about uh, the, the servant that had five of those, let's, let's, do, some, let's do some quick math. 6,000 6, talents, or, yeah, I'm sorry, 6,000 denarii divided by 365, that's the days in a year, you come out with 16 and a half years of wages. 16 and a half years of wages equaled one talent in this story. That's incredible. So then we think, oh my goodness, there was somebody that had five talents, 16 and a half times five, all of a sudden we are looking at a lifetime of work, a lifetime of talent that Jesus entrusted with that servant. One servant had five talents and one servant had two. They both doubled their investment. 
one servant had one and did nothing. So we know about the servants. We know about the talents and what they represent. So, and we know what they did. How does this all play out? In verse 19, the master suddenly returns home after a long time to settle accounts. How did the servants do? Did they stay on track? Remember, if the master was away for a long time, if somebody's gone a long time, it is very easy, easy to become distracted. And I noticed in the Bible passage in Matthew 25, the first servants, uh, it said he went at once. As soon as God gave him those talents, as soon as God gave him those gifts, he went immediately and did something with them. He invested them right away. And both of those first servants who returned with interest, God, they were highly praised by the master. And what was the master's exact response? He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter in to the joy of your master. So what does this response teach us about the master? We see that the master cares about the results, cares about what we do, based off him saying, well done. The master cares about the methods at which we go about using our talents because he says, good. And the master cares about the motivations behind what we're doing because he says, faithful or in some translations, trustworthy. To us, a talent, like we described, is so big. Yet to a God who, is, who has infinite time, infinite talent, and treasures, it is very little. He is looking to set us over much, to further his kingdom, if we can handle it. The third servant, with one talent, did not invest, but he went and he buried the talent. And how did the master respond? You wicked and slothful servant. You ought to have invested my money in the, with the banks, with the bankers. So what provoked such a harsh response from the master? Was it because the servant did not reach that five-talent goal? No. Was it, because that he, was it because he did not double his investment? Not necessarily. It was because... He did, with, he did nothing with what he was given. So as we've read through and we've learned a little bit more about the parable, what are our takeaways? What can we take from what Jesus was trying to teach his followers through this passage, through this parable, and apply it to our own lives today? What Jesus was teaching is that a talent can be anything that we can use to further the kingdom of God. We all have talents that God has given to us. Can you take a minute and name some of the talents that God has given you? Make a list in your head right now.
what does that list include? Maybe it's cooking, writing, plumbing, being able to work on cars, building with your hands, team building, networking, farming, athletics, creativity, hosting. The list can go on and on. Praise God for each thing that he has given you, realizing that your talent is important. I'm sorry, realizing your talent is important because you are beginning to name the very things that God is calling you to use for his kingdom. Number two. Whether you've been given ten talents or two, God has an important and specific plan for your life. As I read the text this week, one of the things that I noticed was the servants were not praised or shamed based on the number of talents that they started with. Sometimes it's very easy to read that into this scripture. Maybe that's cultural for us. I don't know. But the idea that maybe this servant that had the five talents was much more loved and much more highly favored by the Lord. And the servant with one talent was from the start looked down upon and was not given a chance. But that's not what the text says. What we see is the master giving them what they could handle according to their abilities. If we look at the reward for the two servants that received a return on the talents that they had, God did not have higher praise for the servant that brought back more. It's not a competition. Both returns were good, and actually, even though the returns were different, the praise was exactly the same. God only expects a return on what he gives you. We do not want to fall into the, excuse me, we do not want to fall into the trap of comparison. Comparing talents and abilities from one believer to another can be very, very toxic. Instead, we give thanks for what God has given us, and we use it as he directs and as he leads. And again, kind of going back to what uh, Valerie said last week, it's important to remember that as stewards, we are just borrowing these talents. It is very easy to buy into the mindset that everything is about me. And it's prob- it is, it's cultural, right? I get, to, I get to decide what I wanna do with my time. I get to decide what I wanna do with my talents. I get to decide what I wanna do with everything that I have, but if God is the giver of all things and he is returning soon and we will have to give an account for our actions, we cannot accept this mindset. If God has, if God has even given you a gift, no matter how big or small, we're called to use it. This is point number four. The trap is thinking that our gift isn't ready or isn't developed enough so we can do nothing with it. We plan on using it one day. Oh, one day when I reach the level, one day when I can preach like Chad, one day when I can play piano like Jonathan, one day when I can cook like Tim and Dottie, one day fill in the blank. 
then I will use my talent once I achieve a certain level. We have great intentions, but sooner or later, the master returns, and we realized that the gift we were planning to use has been buried the entire time. The time is now to use the gift that God has given you. And in a church like this, it's never been easier. We have a wide variety of ministry teams here that are looking for all sorts of abilities. And you could be the one to help. You might just have that gifting that that ministry team is missing today. And if you're worried that you're not ready or you're not given an, or you're not uh, good enough, there are brothers and sisters in Christ that are ready to come alongside of you to train, to equip, and to disciple. I, inv I invite you to take a minute, and as you consider those gifts, consider what God might be calling you to, both inside and outside of our church today. Remember, all of our talents have come from God, and they are used for God. And one day, we will have to stand before him and give an account of how we did. So I encourage you today um, to identify those talents and to use them as God is calling you.